Welcome to Season 2, Episode 21 of Breaking Down Barriers, a podcast for entrepreneurship community practitioners. This podcast is a production of Startup Space, an entrepreneurship community building platform. I'm your host, David Ponraj. We believe in equitable and inclusive access to the tools and resources needed to start a business. In this podcast, we speak with some of the leading voices in the field of inclusive entrepreneurship and learn from their best practices to apply in our own communities as practitioners. Today, we are speaking with Regina Campbell, President and CEO of Build Institute. Welcome, Regina. Thank you for having me, David. Excited to be here. Regina, you and I have spent a lot of time in the last few weeks talking about your vision and the work you're doing in Build Institute. Could you start by giving us just a, an introduction about Build Institute, the work you're doing there, and the work prior to Build Institute? Yes. So Build Institute is an idea innovation hub. It has been around since 2012, supporting those uh, visionary ideators with uh, launching their business into marketplace, primarily a focus on community-based businesses, also known as lifestyle businesses, food, uh, retail, e-commerce, daycare centers, small-scale manufacturers, really entrepreneurs and small business owners that provide the amenities and services that we love in our neighborhood that are in walking distance. Uh, And so we also are known for our national standard education. Uh, That's why it's called the Institute. If you think about a, you know, a university that many of us have attended, you learn skills and uh, information that helps you be able to go out in the marketplace, whether starting a business for yourself or, you know, working for someone else. So again, Build Institute is all about entrepreneurial education, access to capital and customers. So uh, David, a little bit about me. I have been in the economic development space for the past 20 years And I first started by launching a small-scale business incubator in the north end of Detroit when I was a Detroit Revitalization Fellow with the Wayne State University. It allowed me to help small businesses be able to launch and connect them to resources in the north end, including having had um, holiday pop-up markets for entrepreneurs to sell products and also uh, food pop-ups. Uh, from there, I was fortunate to work for about five years over at TechTown Detroit, uh, leading their place-based entrepreneurship work and helped launch the retail boot camp in SWAT City, which also supported community-based entrepreneurs, helping them open up restaurants and retail stores, uh, health offices into the uh, Detroit marketplace. And then for about almost three years, just under one month, I moved to Memphis, Tennessee to uh, work with uh, Leslie Lynn Smith to help with Epicenter Memphis, which is uh, very much based on the model of New Economy Initiative in Detroit, where I was responsible for national strategic partnerships, uh, local and regional, bringing resources to the uh, region for entrepreneurs, whether it was capital funding or entrepreneurial education. And so I did spend a lot of time with the team doing that. And in particular, the community-based capital piece, which is uh, close to my heart uh, here and looking forward to engaging in projects in that way. And then I can't, you know, go away without saying I'm a mom and a wife. So also, you know, that's an important part of who I am in the community as well. Wow. You have such a rich history with economic development. 
I must ask you, what got you into this in the first place? Was this something your parents did? Uh, what was the inspiration to dedicate your life to economic development? Well, I appreciate that question, David. Um, what made me interested in what we know today or what I've known for the past so many years is economic development was I grew up at a time in Detroit, literally, where we had you know commercial corridors, grocery stores. Even at 16, I actually worked in a retail shop. I loved, you know, downtown's commercial districts. And when it began to change at a certain point, um, that really bothered me. So I've always loved cities, commercial corridors, watching people go in places, interact, shop and eat. And then I can recall at the age of 16, I was going to take the bus downtown Detroit. And it for this particular time, it seemed like it took extra long. And I was looking around at the corridors like, oh, my goodness, seeing things boarded up. And I said to my 16-year-old self then, I said, you're going to help Detroit revitalize. I had no idea what that meant. I didn't even realize that there was a career and a path until naturally I went to undergrad and graduate school where I got a master's in urban and regional planning and had done some housing development, community development, and began to lean into economic development primarily over in my career for the past say, 15 years, a lot more strongly and intentional around small business. Wow. That's amazing. And Detroit has gone through a lot, even looking at the last 12 years, given that you're a native Detroiter and you've dedicated your life to helping revitalize economies. Can you tell me what is the the spirit of Detroit like? And is it an entrepreneurial community? Uh, because we've heard about the big three and the impact that's had on the economy. Tell us about the, the small business spirit uh, in Detroit, because I... I don't get to ask this question every day, even though I've had to have the opportunity of experiencing it uh, myself. Yeah, so David, the spirit of Detroit is strong. Um, You know that we always talk about the spirit of Detroit is something that is throughout Detroiters, whether newcomers, native Detroiters, visitors. And I can say that the spirit of Detroit is strong with our entrepreneurs as well. We know that during COVID, some of them had challenges and either had to, you know, pause operations. Some continued for those who were, you know, able and ready, already doing carry out, particularly when we talk about restaurants. And so we are continuing to thrive. Um, now that things have opened back up, I know I see when I'm out day and day and talking to entrepreneurs and enjoying the amenities and uh, services, it's those micro businesses, it's those new restaurants and the retail that have opened up that really show that the spirit of entrepreneurship is alive. And we know that in Detroit, the barrier to entry for entrepreneurship, sort of testing, piloting, proof of concept, you know, the barrier is low. So, you know, it's more reasonable here to start a business. You have, as you know, David, you've talked to, you support a number of us through startup space in the ecosystems across the nation. And you know that Detroit has a very robust uh, ecosystem for entrepreneurs and resources and support. So this is definitely a place where any entrepreneur can come with any idea, tech, high growth, all the way to community-based businesses. And there is a BSO here to support them. So we are continuing to move and groove. And most recently, um, J.P. Morgan Chase, uh, September Hargrove, who's the vice president and Uh, The program officer for Detroit had Jamie Diamond uh, at Build Institute talking with us, um, Pamela Lewis, and other entrepreneurs. And those entrepreneurs are rocking and rolling and definitely represented the spirit of Detroit. Oh, that's amazing to hear. Uh, Let's talk a little bit about some of the the opportunities and challenges 
before we start digging into some of the work you're doing and some of the work you've planned as part of your strategic initiatives, what have been some traditional barriers that are unique to Detroit and might not be unique to Detroit, but Detroit entrepreneurs face nonetheless uh, when it when somebody tries to start a business uh, in and Detroit? And I would focus primarily on underrepresented uh, entrepreneurs. Uh, what are some typical barriers that they face when they try to start a business? Uh, well, uh, I'm going to say one, I, the many entrepreneurs that I come across who are under underserved have some really, really great ideas. Many times they, you know, may not understand how to get started. Uh, and that's in, in, in practice for us at Build Institute, what we do is we'll have a, a one-on-one with them to help them begin to think through if they're serious about starting a business, what are some entrepreneurial classes that we have that they can engage in? And or what I like to do is to make sure the person is, you know, serious about the path. I recommend resources that they can do online. Everything from SCORE Detroit has some good uh, tools that they can refer to. The business model canvas, giving them sort of this one page idea to think through every aspect of the business and operations. And so not knowing even how to get started or who to ask is one part of it. The other part is if we're talking about underserved entrepreneurs who are existing micro businesses, them being comfortable and trusting the partners to, like I often say, open their books. Many times entrepreneurs are ashamed to say that, you know, hey, I'm not profitable. Hey, I'm not even breaking even. And so when we can get past the barrier of trust and getting them to where they can start to ask the questions we then move into the more challenging thing, which is the access to capital. Many of the entrepreneurs that I serve oftentimes are not an industry that is either invested in or meet the criteria for certain uh, loans or debt that is out there. And so that's a barrier, right? So at Build, we're known for our entrepreneurial education. We have consultants that can support them in real time and executive and resident. We even have Kiva. But guess what? When they've done all that, they've excelled in every aspect of that, and that money is the only way they can move to the next stage of their business, where is it? So capital continues to be a gap and a challenge that we face for our underserved entrepreneurs. And again, entrepreneurial education, they don't know what they don't know. And us continuing to work on how do we bring this information to the entrepreneur, meeting them where they are particularly when they're small operations, a sole proprietor who can't jump into a cohort that may be, you know, five, 10 weeks, or they may not have time to come into our office. And so that's why, you know, we enjoy continuing to go and meet entrepreneurs where they are in community with partners. So I'm going to ask you uh, just a quick question about highlighting a couple entrepreneurs that have gone through Build Institute that are your favorite stories. And then we're going to jump into kind of some of the systemic challenges you've mentioned and things that you're doing and the BSO community in Detroit are doing to help uh, solve these uh, really systemic problems. But do you have any favorite uh, stories of entrepreneurs uh, that have gone through Build Institute? Oh, you're going to get me in trouble. Um, <laughs> okay, we'll say you have many stories. You only have time for two. How about that? <laughs> um, so, yes, I have many stories, but I only have time for two. Um, I have to start from sort of some of the early, the earlier stage ones, and then I'll go into um, a more recent grad. Um, April Anderson, Good Cakes and Bakes, 
She started early on in the cohorts around BUILD and have continued to facilitate classes. Uh, her products are in, um, in different markets. Uh, she has been able to be successful in her, um, in her bakery, and she's hired a number of folks in community and around the community. So that has been a success. I mean, if you're back next time, you have got to make sure that you get um, those fresh cinnamon rolls that she makes. They are to die for. So not only with BUILD alumni like her, they continue to give back. You know, April has been on the BUILD board for some time um, and supports us on our finance committee as well. So when we have people who graduate from BUILD, they're not only successful with their business, they're also giving back to the alumni network and to the ecosystem. So uh, April Anderson is a gem. One, her being in that food space, she is also this expert who helps other entrepreneurs be able to figure through what their business and their revenue model is. So there's that. And then also recently, there was um, right next door to us in the corner, you know, we have two build grads, um, Plum Health, um, which has always been to me a very unique model, um, Paul Thomas. He launched a medical boutique, which actually provides um, health services to underrepresented residents. And I thought that that was very, very unique, bringing, you know, low discount um, medical care to residents. So that's beautiful. And then right next to him, Skinforia just opened up and this is their second location. Um, and so being able to walk in the area of Corktown and get, you know, uh, beauty, beauty, beautification and facials and massages and a variety of other things for self-care is a beautiful thing. And so I know that I will be going over because I'm going to share this. This is probably not funny to some. And it wasn't funny when um, his name was Lowell Kennedy said it. So he does my makeup for particular photos, headshots and um, articles. And he said, Regina, you need a facial. And I'm like, where do I go? So definitely skin for you. They're right around the corner from us and I will be going there. Oh, that's excellent. I might actually have Evan who works for us and is based in Detroit, go get some of those rolls and, oh, yeah. and ship yeah. them to me. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I can wait to come back there and, and buy them. But uh, those are amazing stories. Let's talk a little bit about the solution to the challenges we've been talking about. And I know we can talk about solutions to every one of them. The first one, of course, being that entrepreneurs don't know where to look for resources. Uh, and that's some of the work that we've been working with NEI uh, and other partners to help solve. But that's one problem. The other one is uh, capital that you said has been a problem uh, all along. And even entrepreneurs who are successful struggle to find capital. Can we start by actually talking a little bit about the strategic initiatives that Build has uh, kind of committed to working on uh, in the next three to five years. Uh, I think there might be some beautiful nuggets there that our practitioners can actually learn from. Yes, definitely. The capital piece is close to to my heart um, in that too many entrepreneurs face a barrier after they've taken advantage of the great entrepreneurial education and subject matter experts in TA and um, they need funds, whether from, you know, like $2,000 um, up to $20,000, and they may not be the right fit for uh, industry for some providers, or they may not have the credit score or um, their um, income statements, and they don't necessarily have the time or capacity to wait six months or a year to get capital deployed. 
And so that being said, um, Kiva is a part of our capital ladder, and Kiva was the first place launched in Detroit with Build Institute. And we also have Detroit Soup, which also is an opportunity for sort of a crowdfunding opportunity for entrepreneurs. But that being said, we know that's not enough to include, you know, there are other CDFIs in the market that are able to provide capital to some entrepreneurs. But again, that's still not enough. Uh, New Economy Initiative data has shown us that, um, yes, we do have some capital in the space, but our offerings are very limited. So what we're doing at Build is a work in epicenter. We did things around community-based capital. That is creating um, what we call funds that include grants, debt, and equity opportunities to include ways that Black, Latinx, and people of color can do investments in businesses. So we'll be starting at Build with an opportunity to have a fund where part of it will be grant and some of it will be debt. Loans that could be everything from 2000 to uh, $10,000 based on what the need is um, and working to restructure a criteria that will be very different from the traditional criteria for a CDFI um, and, you know, quite frankly, um, bank debt right now. Our goal with this initial project will be able to help inform others in the marketplace about ways that they can get an ROI. They can see that entrepreneurs can pay things back. I know we see it with Kiva. Detroit entrepreneurs have paid back their Kiva loans and some have come back for a second loan. And so um, that's the first thing we look to start with and expand upon as well as an opportunity if we get a one particular grant, we will be able to help entrepreneurs from the real estate side of the business as well. Can we talk a little bit about the the, the barriers to underrepresented entrepreneurs uh, being able to access uh, most types of loans? So, you know, uh, what are you doing differently with this opportunity? You know, what barrier are you breaking down? Because I think one of the things that we've traditionally looked at was things like, you know, credit score. And uh, not having credit score disadvantaged entrepreneurs from most types of loans. So how are you going to be doing different things with this capital access program um, that is going to break down barriers for underrepresented entrepreneurs, especially uh, women and people of color that traditionally might not have cash flow statements or might not have profitability, et cetera? What is, what is going to be different about this loan? And so, David, I know this topic is very close to you as well. And as we've talked about, being able to look at a healthy cash flow, right? And so sometimes a healthy cash flow will show us that an entrepreneur can pay back a certain amount. And part of this for me and with our um, capital ladder programming, we're going to have entrepreneurial education alongside of that. So that will be, you know, capital, you know, sort of one-on-one and others based on where they are. And I say that because it's important for me, and sometimes our entrepreneurs fail because the resource they're getting matched with may not be exactly the right resource for where they are. And so that being said, for us, it's important to make sure that the education of the type of debt they are taking on matches where they are with their cash flow. It may be that on this ladder, they have to start with $2,000, and we help them along the way, teach them how... You know, their cash flow matches for an opportunity for them to be able to um, get some working capital or higher, right? So along the way, as they're going up the ladder, 
side by side as the entrepreneurial education to help them with managing their debt and continuing to have a positive cash flow. So that will be very important. And what will be different, I think, to um, sort of I'm not going to say there's there's always, you know, some risk in in um, loans and, and payback. But what I am saying is the more we can educate entrepreneurs about the debt and what that means and their cash flow and, and um, how they can pay it back in terms and uh, in a framework that they can relate to in their day to day, they will have more success. Sometimes people are getting loans, quite frankly, just because they might have you know, had some profitability statements, but they still fail. And I think what we're doing differently is alongside everything, we're going to educate them the long way, make sure that we are matching them to the right capital opportunity that won't place an additional burden on them. If you talk to some entrepreneurs, they will say, yeah, they, they've gotten all this debt and it's helping cover everything, but it's too much debt that they'll never get under from under. So sort of there's that both and, right? Um, there's that balance and what I like to say, go slow to go fast and make sure that we are connecting them to the right capital resource on the ladder, aligned with the right uh, capital education and an expert to help them navigate uh, with cash flow. Our goal at Bill, quite frankly, because we serve proof of concept entrepreneurs and those are in a justified stage who can't go to the bank yet. We want to help them to where they're able to get capital and move on up the ladder. You know, so for us, the top of the ladder or the North Star is that bank. And just before that is the CDFI. So we want to help our entrepreneurs with seeding capital, whether it's um, bringing some investments from community or communities of color to invest in that business so that they can say, hey, I've, I've gotten this investment. I've paid it back. Now look at me differently. Don't look at me on the base of this profitability and on my credit score, but look, look at my cash flow, look that I've paid these investors back, look that I've paid this loan back. And so we are working again to, you know, with a theory of change to shift the way people deploy capital and quite frankly, see people of color as, you know, not investable or they consider people of color to be very risky. And so we've got to continue to work to shift things by doing it uh, from the grassroots. I think several things you said there uh, make a lot of sense, and I would like to repeat it because uh, I think uh, it needs to be kind of highlighted. First, you are right-sizing the capital, so you're actually identifying the right type of capital. Second, you're providing technical assistance, which we've seen in a lot of cases when you, uh, when you pair technical assistance with capital, the capital goes a lot farther because they're now also going to be making a lot of really good decisions around how they use the capital. And then being able to also negotiate with capital providers to create access pathways for capital to be invested in the community. So I think there are so many things, uh, Regina, that you're doing in actually facilitating the flow of capital to these entrepreneurs uh, that I think really need to be highlighted because you're not just solving any one piece of the workflow, you're solving almost the entire value stream, starting from negotiating with the capital providers to also making sure that entrepreneurs understand how to use uh, capital, which is uh, fantastic. And uh, I want to shift focus because there's one other thing that you do really well, and we operate today in over 65 cities across the US. So we get to see the best of 
the support organizations. And one thing that I love about your work is you've really focused on data and you've really pushed us, pushed all of your BSO partners, et cetera. And you've asked us, you know, show me the data, help me understand what's happening. And that kind of discipline around using data-driven uh, decision-making doesn't exist across the BSO spectrum. So what's your motivation and inspiration to to really be data-driven as an organization? That's a great question, David. And two, I'm grateful, you know, from the time I was like, oh, Startup Space Detroit, <laughs> how can Bill be down? Uh, but data is so important because at the end of the day, my experiences and the work I've done have revealed certain things that I'm like, okay, this is the gap. This is the need. I've heard this entrepreneur say this. But the data allows me to take all of that, go to funders to advocate for resources for these entrepreneurs we serve. We know that whether it's, you know, corporate, you know, the public sector, philanthropy, people not making bets on guts, right? And I'm going to say, my got a pretty good gut when it comes to things, you know, I'm like, and, and it can be on target. So the data helps inform where we are in real time and what the need is in a way that um, our funders hear us, corporate hears us, and um, the public sector hears us. I think you, you've heard Pamela Lewis for NEI talk about how the data and the work that you all did allowed them to be able to go to SBA. And they began to change the narrative and the language sort of from 500 employees to 50 and below. So again, data is necessary for us to make significant changes that can sustain for those we serve in this micro business space. Without it, you know, we have no proof, um, no, no standard to follow, no sort of North Star of where we're going. And so uh, data also makes me confident too, right? So if I'm, you know, David, how I'm talking to different folks, I'm in conversations, you know, I'm in different interviews, data helps support the statements uh, around accuracy for what is happening in real time. It's not a guess. It's not a gut check. It is data. And you can't argue with numbers. Very well said. I'll add a little... Uh, slogan that I learned very early on in my finance career, which is, in God we trust, all else bring data. So, <laughs> so, right. that. so you can use that too. So I use okay. that to tell people, you know, uh, I, I got to verify, like, you know, yep, yep. Uh, at the end of the day, and when you bring data, it's hard to ignore it. And I feel like economic development really needs to start making that fundamental shift. Not in general. I think economic development in general does that already. But when it comes to entrepreneurship-led economic development, the space that we're in, I think that data will actually help make our case for better investments, better infrastructure, uh, better policy advocacy, mm -hmm. etc. Because the small businesses we serve are amazing. But we got to have the data to tell the story. And I agree with you because time, right? So data helps us move things forward quicker. I'm a believer that most people want to figure out how to help, you know, whether it's the public sector, private sector, philanthropy, but you have to show the data there to get to, you know, what could potentially work in real time where people can see and understand it. And this data is the only place that I found like in my career where people get it. Um, and it helps build the case, not only Detroit, but across the country, right? When there is data being captured when you can aggregate that for us across these systems, David, 
and we can show like, yep, over here in Memphis or, um, you know, Detroit over in Indiana, you know, these things are happening common in communities that are underrepresented. What can we do differently when the data is clearly showing that these are these gaps? And people see that. They can hear that and more willing to come around to solutions. We're almost running out of time. This is such a fascinating conversation. But there is one burning question that I ask all our interviewees. And that is, given your experience, and Regina, you have more experience than most of the people we've brought on. If you had to start all over again, or if somebody's starting out in the field of inclusive entrepreneurship, they're starting down a track of economic development. What is one thing that you would advise them to do that you would have done differently or things that you have done differently than most people that has helped you uh, in your career around starting out in community building and entrepreneurship? Well, I think I'm going to say I would start with the biggest challenge um, or the biggest gap is the one that I've been leaning into um, for the past eight years now, the capital piece. I think I thought early on in my career that entrepreneurial education, give them the best education, they'll be able to move forward and conquer and launch any business and had really thought about how the barriers to capital and capital was necessary for growth. So I would encourage people to go for the biggest challenge, try to solve that um, first. Don't shy away from that. Um, They may solve it before the rest of everybody catches up to it and the solution will be present and available. And then also making sure uh, you're building relationships with the entrepreneurs along the way, because it's something about, David, I know you know this, having a trusted ear uh, when going into community, when going into restaurants, entrepreneurs are coming up. One is saying thank you, and two saying, hey, I'm having this issue and problem. So the entrepreneurs, since we serve them, we really should have a relationship with them. But I encourage people to be big. Go for that thing that's the hardest thing to solve. And you're doing that, David. Y'all are doing that. When you talk about the data and what y'all working on, I'm like, oh, yeah, that's big. That's huge. You get there and solve that one. I'm like, I can sleep at night. So um, that would be my thing. Don't start with, you know, sort of the entrepreneurial education. I think we're great. We have a lot of that throughout the country. How do we solve for capital? That's my main thing now. How do we meet this capital need? That's amazing. And we are thrilled to be working with you on solving this piece. We feel that if we can get Detroit to be that proof of concept city around alternate access to capital, we can take that around the country and around the world. Because uh, ultimately, when you look at the smaller micro businesses, especially businesses that are uh, started by underrepresented entrepreneurs, the, the capital problem is huge because uh, traditionally, they've always been marginalized, and the work you're doing is going to create some some massive breakdown uh, in these barriers in these barriers to uh, capital. So, thank you for joining us today. Uh, we uh, look forward to bringing you back on in a year from now to hear about how you've solved for these uh, challenges, <laughs> and I'm excited already to hear that story. Thank you for having me. Awesome. Well, if people want to get in touch with you, Regina, how would they find you on social media or uh, by email? What would you prefer? How would you like people to get in touch with you? Um, They can either go to hello, H-E-L-L-O, at buildinstitute.org or visit us on our website at www.buildinstitute.org. Well, thanks again for joining us today, and uh, we look forward to having you back soon.
Thank you for having me, David. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of Breaking Down Barriers, a podcast for entrepreneurship community practitioners hosted by David Polraj. Special thanks to Regina Campbell for joining us. Show notes by creative director Jackie Dietrich. Edited and produced by Lauren Bernard. If you'd like to suggest interviewees, new topics, or just want to reach out, please email us at podcast at startupspace.app. All Breaking Down Barriers episodes are available on our website or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Feel free to rate, review, and subscribe for all the latest updates.